Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lisenby. Happy winter solstice, Kristen and listeners. And also, happy birthday to Kristen, our wonderful solstice Capricorn witch. (laughs) Thank you. And blessed Yule to you and all of our listeners. Truth be told, I'm a little sad that this is our last episode Mm. of 2021, but we'll be back in a few weeks, and I love to embrace that hermit energy that is so present right now. Absolute same. Um, However, 2022, wow, okay, fine, will be upon (laughs) us soon, and with the new year, we'll have a bunch of new episodes that we're really excited about. So we'll be kicking off the year with a conversation with our very own Tamed Wild Astrologer, Riss, about the stars in the new year and shadow work. So stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to talk winter magic. So last year, we had an episode dedicated to the winter solstice where we talked about the weavers of destiny and folklore and myth. And Kate, you dug into your Slavic roots and talked about Marzana and some interesting midwinter traditions. That one was a lot of fun. And then we also had a separate Yule episode where we talked about Gryla, the Yule lads, Bera, the shadow side of the season, Yule logs, the wild hunt, and glitter magic, among other things. Wow, that's a lot. Yes. So (laughs) listeners, if any of that stuff interests you, check out episodes seven and eight from season one. Definitely. And before we begin, Kristen, I have to know what books are you reading right now? Well, I just stocked up my book pile in anticipation of early nights by the fire. So I'm almost finished with Seasons of Moon and Flame by Danielle Dusky, mm-hmm. which is so good, um, all about working with different crone archetypes based on the season. And then I have two books by Marie-Louise von Franz that I cannot wait to read, one on divination and synchronicity, and then the other on alchemical active imagination. What about you? So right now I'm reading Missing Witches by Risa Dickens and Amy Torek, which is about recovering true histories of feminist magic. And the new Witchcraft by Tashin just arrived, which I'm really excited about. Plus, thank you, Kristen, for this gift of Cinder Bitter by Martin Shaw and Tony Hoagland and The Legend of Old Bafana by Tommy DePola. I did not realize that he had done a version of this book, so I'm super excited, and it's fully book season now. Yes, you are so welcome, and I think I told you, but that La Bafana book was actually recommended to me by one of our listeners, so thank you, listeners. We take book recs very seriously here at Magic and Alchemy. It's definitely a love language. 
And so it is. Um, I can't wait to go back to my mom's house because she has a fireplace and I keep telling Banjo to get excited. So <laughs> we will be reading those books there. But um, what are we talking about today? Well, this time around, in honor of Yule and winter, I was hoping to talk about the solstice's relationship to not just the crone, but all three faces of the goddess, including maiden and mother. Also, maybe some talk about winter witches and magical animals. When I think of winter, specifically the solstice, I think of the crone. Like winter, the crone represents endings, stillness, and inner, also sometimes outer, transformation. Both the crone and winter are synonymous with our twilight years, darkness, shadows, and liminal spaces, especially as they're found in nature. So it only makes sense that we honor the crone on the winter solstice, the longest night of the year. There is a beautiful quote in the book Courting the Wild Twin by Martin Shaw that asks, quote, Where is your liminal forest? What shady space is allotted in your life to let your thinking lope and purr and get old womanly? End quote. That is so beautiful. Lope and purr and get old womanly. Yes, please. <laughs> Yes, I love his words, and there are so many ways to interpret them, but I can't help but think that for many of us, our liminal forest might be a season, like winter or harvest. It might be the middle of the night or first thing in the morning when things are still quiet and calm, yet we're burning with creativity. That liminal forest might be something more tangible, like a book, a blank canvas, or an empty dance floor. And as a witch who plans rituals according to what's happening astrologically, I believe the equinoxes and solstices are potent alignments that, as Martin Shaw suggests, allows us to lope, purr, and embrace the liminal forest as only the old woman can. But the thing is, the winter solstice is not only dedicated to the crone, but to the triple goddess as a whole— According to pagan and wheel-of-the-year folklore, winter solstice is when the goddess gives birth to a son. She transitions from maiden to mother, and the horned god, who sacrificed himself during harvest season, is once again reborn. In some parts of Europe, the winter solstice is known as Mother's Night, which I love. There's a German legend that says at the solstice, quote, A forest goddess shapeshifts into a white doe and goes into a sacred cave in order to give birth to the sun of the new year, end quote. And sun here is spelled S-U-N, referencing the cosmic shift going on, because after the solstice, the sun slowly begins to regain its strength. In the Missing Witches book, they described Mother's Night as a time to draw closer to maternal ancestors. Mother's Night begins a season in the dark, tied with our breath and our voices to all the possibilities inherent in that space before and between. We keep the Yule log burning to keep us on this side of life, to stay warm and survive until tomorrow. This moment is a dangerous encounter with death, just like the labor of childbirth has been for most of human history, 
And in this way, this moment is, by its very nature, dangerous to patriarchy, end quote, which I loved. I recently had some conversations with my own mom about how she found out she was pregnant with me, where she was, and what she was feeling like. And taking a channeled writing workshop with Mary Greasy, my Polish uh, maternal ancestors appeared with a message. Well, my grandma Joan was in the hospital last week, and she's feeling much better. But, you know, say small blessings for her if you can. But do you have any maternal ancestor rituals for Mother's Night to share with our listeners? Well, first, all the blessings for Grandma Joan. I'm so happy that she's feeling better. Me too. Um, <laughs> and I just love what you said about having conversations with your mom about who she was before she was your mother or while she was transitioning from maiden to mother, because that's such a powerful story for you to have, you know, as a storyteller, as her daughter. I imagine it's something that you will share with future generations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, words are spells, stories are rituals. So I think speaking with our maternal figures or ancestors and then maybe recording whatever stories they share is Mm -hmm. a really, really special gift to ourselves and our lineage, especially on Mother's Night. Yeah, and I mean, even just beyond connecting with our own ancestors, like the goddess um, as a whole, and Mm -hmm. the quote that kind of follows this piece about uh, Mother's Night is the um, Doreen Valiente's Charge of the Goddess, which I hadn't ever read. And do you know it? Yes, I'm a huge fan. So I'm just going to read it for our listeners to bring it into the conversation here, just because it's so beautiful. And ye shall be free from slavery, and as a sign ye are really free. Ye shall be naked in your rights, and ye shall dance, sing, feast, make lust and love, all in my praise. For mine is the ecstasy of the spirit, and mine also is joy on earth. For my law is love unto all beings. Keep pure your highest ideal. Strive ever toward it. Let not stop you or turn you aside. For mine is the secret door which opens upon the land of youth. And mine is the cup of the wine of life and the cauldron of Caridwen, which is the holy grail of immortality. I am the gracious goddess who gives the gift of joy unto the heart. Upon earth, I give the knowledge of the spirit eternal. And beyond death, I give peace and freedom and reunion with those who have gone before. Nor do I demand sacrifice. For behold, I am the mother of all living, and my love is poured out upon the earth. Love these words. Me too. And Starhawk has done a version of this too, which is the version I was most familiar with before. And I'm sure there are many other beautiful poetic versions. I guess I'm just going to have to keep talking about the spiral dance on this podcast. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) But it just makes me think of this time, like connecting to the mother, reading out loud the charge of the goddess in our respective circles, calling on the crone and remembering that deep female energy that is both dark and shadowy and giving life in this moment. Yes, and allowing all of them to lope and purr. As they should. Beyond the crone and the goddess, Kristen, what other symbols of this time do you work with? Hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but 
the deer carries such maiden energy for me. So when I was reading the myth earlier about the forest goddess shape-shifting into a doe during winter solstice, I couldn't help but think of Artemis, the wild hunt, and also fairies, since according to folklore, deer are believed to hang out near the entrance to the other world. Yes, um, Artemis and Diana are really close to my heart. Um, and it's also interesting that the Kiliak or Bira, as some may call her, who we mentioned earlier and in last year's episode, is also associated with deer. Kiliak is the patron of deer, and some myths tell of her herding deer as well as protecting them from the dangers of hunters. I also think about the maiden's future counterpart slash partner, the horned god, um, or Sir Nunos or Hearn the Hunter, whatever name and representation you prefer. Um, And he often appears in animal form as the stag. Listeners, you can find um, Hearn the Hunter on Magic and Alchemy. Kristen does a really wonderful retelling. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) And in the book Rituals, Recipes, and Lore for the Winter Solstice, which um, I'll add in our show notes, Mm -hmm. there's a passage that says, quote, The deer is sacred to the winter solstice because of a belief that the stag carries the sun in his antlers. Symbolically, deer antlers resemble tree branches. And like tree branches, the antlers are shed and regrown each year in a real-life example of rebirth and rejuvenation. End quote. I also just keep thinking about the symbolism of a white deer, which you mentioned, I think, briefly earlier, Um, And a lot of different cultures have seen the white deer as a very special message from the spirit world. So something to pay attention to in these winter months. Yeah, absolutely. And all this makes me think of Saul, a Lithuanian spinning goddess and the keeper Mm -hmm. of the light and the sun. Her story goes that on the solstice, she flies through the sky in a sleigh pulled by horned reindeer. She's not alone. Next to her is her smith, who has forged a golden cup to catch her tears. In this cup, her tears turn to amber, and she throws those amber bits down to humans, a representation of the sun's rays. I keep trying to tell Cody he should bottle my tears and sell them, and he, like, thinks I'm kidding. (laughs) This is not a joke. (laughs) There's also a Slavic winter goddess uh, known as Rosanitsa, She appears as a horned goddess with reindeer antlers, and on her feast day, December 26th, people would make cookies in the shape of reindeer to share and eat for good luck. And something else to note, um, female reindeer don't lose their antlers in winter like bucks do, so it's really up to the does, be they maiden, mother, or crone reindeer, Mm. to watch over the herd during the fierce shadow months. Which, of course, makes me reconsider who's pulling Santa's sleigh. Mm -hmm. Because now that we know a thing or two about reindeer and how the does are the only ones who retain their antlers during this time, you know, it just makes me think that Rudolph and the rest of Santa's team being bucks was probably an attempt to recreate the mother-deer archetype under a patriarchal lens. The patriarchy strikes again. Right. But all jokes aside, deer are really a special animal and symbol. And there's this poem that I love by Ansel Elkins. It's called Girl with Antlers. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. But there's this line in it that says, What you are, I cannot say, 
but nature has created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, because of this, I keep an antler besom on my altar during the season and the skull of a deer nearby um, all year long. And this also reminds me of Borderlands by Gloria Anzaldúa, which is a really incredible book about the U.S. and Mexican border. But in that book, she has this piece called Servicide and talks about how servicide um, is the killing of a deer and how in archetypal symbology, the self appears as a deer for women. Wow, that's so interesting. I hadn't heard of that, but I'm definitely going to look this up. Yeah, you're going to love it. But, um, you know, there's also this lore tied in with the Amanita muscaria mushroom and reindeer. And according to the lore, it's Amanita muscaria that helps reindeer reach the sky and ride amongst the clouds. So the Koryak shamans of Siberia would forage for these mushrooms, and they were also known to wear red and black, much like someone else we know. Um, So I wrote a whole article about this for Lucid News last Christmas, so I'll link that too for those that want to go down the poisonous plants rabbit hole with me. (laughs) While not the same as reindeer or deer, the horse is also honored at winter. I discovered a winter tradition called hoodening, which is where usually a man or several men would take turns dressing up as a horse and go door to door collecting money in exchange for entertainment. And usually the person dressed as a horse would offer blessings or insights, and the recipient would pay them by placing a coin in their mouth, hence the term straight from the horse's mouth. Oh, my goddess. Okay, that makes total sense. I never thought about it. (laughs) And in that same book about rituals and lore for winter, it mentions a legend about Robin Hood and how he died on the eve of the solstice. According to this version, Robin Hood passed away accidentally from a case of bloodletting gone wrong. Bloodletting was a common practice in medieval times where if you were sick, either you or your physician would cut yourself, let yourself bleed with the hopes that the sickness would also bleed out. But of course, you know, it can be dangerous and in Robin Hood's case, fatal. Plus, don't forget the use of leeches. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe because like we've mentioned, you know, the winter solstice is a liminal space where magic is bound to happen. Or maybe as a representation of the horned god who's now in his infancy, Legend says that Robin Hood died on Yule Eve, but was reborn as a hobby horse. And since about the 1700s, there's been a tradition called bleeding the horses for luck. But I think nowadays it's, you know, not really bloody. It's more of a blessing the horses type situation (laughs) for luck in the new year and to honor, you know, the memory of Robin Hood and other motherly caretaker types. Um, You know, as far as animals of this time, too, I've been thinking a lot about the raven. So as a part of Tamed Wild's December box, there is a raven amulet in there to connect with Odin. And Odin and the raven have long been symbolically intertwined. So perched upon his shoulders, his ravens are a source of knowledge and even an extension of the god himself, bringing him news from their flights above the earth. So it's Hugin and Munin, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing correctly, listeners, forgive me. (laughs) And they are the names of Odin's sacred ravens with a translation to thought and memory, which I think is really beautiful. So 
The raven is connected with war, much like Odin is, but also is considered a symbol of intellectual prowess. Their names, thought and memory, feel so much connected to this time of year. And, you know, the raven, according to one of my favorites of Ash, Oak, and Thorn, um, is an important totem animal of the Celts. So in Ireland, the raven was associated with such goddesses as the Morrigu, and in Wales, the bird was connected with Bran the Blessed and the Morrigan. Ravens are bold birds connected with the dead and beings from the beyond. They are noisy when disturbed, but also very intelligent, watchful, and silent when it calls for it. I really like that description. Intelligent, but noisy when disturbed. Feels relatable. Same. (laughs) I also really love the raven and working with birds in general during this time of year because, you know, the wild winter can be really tough. I see ravens and most birds as psychopomps, um, those who move between worlds, which is what winter magic is all about. Kate, how will you be celebrating the solstice this year? I'm thinking a lot about grief and spaciousness right now. You know, I've been thinking also a lot about Demeter and how the grief over losing her daughter to the underworld plunged the world into winter and darkness. You actually, you wrote in your beautiful article about winter witches on magic and alchemy about Demeter and and you said, quote, as an agricultural goddess, we witness Demeter's despair during the dark months when the trees stand naked and vulnerable. And we hear her anguish in the wind when it howls and screams for the lost maiden. And we feel her suffering in our bodies when they ache for warmth, yet the skies remain cloudy and gray. In winter, Demeter doesn't rule with joy and optimism as she does in spring and summer. Instead, When harvest season arrives and Persephone leaves her mother for the underworld, Demeter leans into her shadow. As a winter witch, Demeter embodies the struggles that emerge by resisting change. By working with Demeter and other goddesses, we learn to call back all of the pieces of our soul, even if for only a season or two, end quote so beautiful but um thank you you know I feel like in the month of December especially with all of the pressures of holidays family capitalism paired with you know grief of the seasons the short days the pandemic that we're currently living in you know sometimes we can forget to take the time to grieve or to build spaciousness into our day-to-day so the urge to slow down is so real um, and I'm trying to honor that with the season and, you know, say no, pointing towards the new year as a time to begin new projects or initiate new conversations. Um, Like you said earlier, the hermit archetype, um, Mm -hmm. just experiencing a lot between push and pull of expectations and what we feel naturally inclined to do. And this can be really painful. So listeners, I see you and, you know, do what you need to do to rest in this moment of winter. Such an important reminder, you know, right now and always. Definitely. And, you know, apart from taking my time grieving and releasing, I'll be setting my eyes on the horizon while carrying my small candle through this dark night. 
I'll be communing with the deer on my grandpa's property back in Michigan in devotion to the Kaliak, and I'll be writing poetry as a part of a solstice ritual celebration with my mentor, Robin Rose Bennett. And, you know, I'll be practicing a little candle magic and saying hello to my maternal ancestors. But what about you? Well, all that sounds so magical. Um, Also, yes to lighting all the candles and Yule logs right now. For me, this will be my third year celebrating the holiday 5,000 miles away from my family. So if anyone else out there is also feeling the weight of that, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So I'll be honoring the solstice by video chatting with my family and then visiting one of my favorite magical slash liminal spaces in nature here and bringing an offering for my ancestors, the Kaliak, Caridwin, any nearby animals or spirits. And then I guess just leaning into that stillness that we keep talking about. Lots of listening and naps and dream work. I'll definitely be practicing divination, um, maybe some mirror gazing or tarot or pendulum. And then also just reminding myself to have fun with it all. You know, the crone is wise, but she's also funny. Despite all the magic the goddess possesses, even at winter, she doesn't take herself too seriously. And as the embodiment of winter, the goddess or the witch is full of surprises and secrets and stories. All we need do is listen. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. So send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to our next episode on January 12th when Kate and I sit down with astrologer and coach Riss Cottrell to talk about shadow work and what's in the stars for 2022. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>